uh, the work of, of the Holy Spirit and, and the believers and, and even through the midst of much opposition, uh, the gospel continued to spread like a wildfire just spreading everywhere. And so that is an encouragement to us as a reminder uh, that God is faithful regardless what we are confronted with on an every, everyday basis, that, that God will continue his work. And so what we saw then that Jesus was preparing the disciples, and as Jesus was preparing the disciples, he was informing their minds with truth, and he was also giving them an understanding of this truth. We saw how the disciples took, they went through a 40-day time of, of training and, and, and getting into the Word and, and understanding that all of Scripture pointed to Jesus Christ. We also saw that the studying of the Scriptures was very important in their preparation and that part of them preparing for, for the work of, of the Spirit was them understanding the Word of God, them understanding the promise that was given to them and, and the power that they would soon receive so that they can be effective witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, we also saw that all of this took place within the context of community. When Jesus Christ was teaching the disciples, it was within the context of community. And so as we saw then that Jesus was sending out the very first disciples, both men and women, who were on mission and empowered to be witnesses of Jesus. And this is where we talk about the sent ones. There were, there were those who were sent out by Jesus Christ. And so in all of this, we're seeing how Jesus is building his church, that it is a family of disciples on mission. And so you and I exist to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And as we continue, we will see how the early church would uh, bear witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now, we also saw how Luke finished the gospel of Luke with the ascension of Jesus and how he begins this letter in, in Acts with the ascension of Jesus. So we are seeing then that the earthly ministry of Jesus had finished, but the heavenly ministry of Jesus was going to begin. And so we will read out of Acts chapter 1, and we begin in verse 9. And this is what the word of the Lord says. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Man, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him Go into heaven. Verse 12. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. 
Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was alluded his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is a field of blood. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. Verse 24, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place. And they cast lots for them. And a lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Amen. Whew, quite an introduction there. But this gives you a sneak peek into what the early church was going through. As Jesus was building his church, you see what the disciples were doing. So at the very beginning of this, in verse 9, this is right after Jesus tells them that the Holy Spirit will come upon them and they're going to be witnesses. Right after that, we see this glorious moment where Jesus is in front of them and all of a sudden he's being taken up into heaven in a cloud. I mean, you could only imagine what the disciples were doing. They were probably like tripping, like, man, rubbing their eyes, like, man, am I really seeing what I'm seeing right now? Jesus is being taken up into heaven right before our eyes. I mean, if we saw that right now, we'd probably be, man, calling the news, calling all kind of people, right? In amazement. They must have been astonished. And at this very point, the ascension of Jesus signifies something very critical. That the ministry he had here on earth 
had finished. Him physically being present with them had finished. But the one that was going to begin is his ministry from heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is what we see right now. This astonishment with the disciples. Now, there's two men that stood by them in white robes. Something takes place here. They're gazing up into heaven, and these two men stand right by them. It says they were dressed in white robes, and they, and he, they tell them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? It's like, what are you doing still here? Why are you still gazing into heaven? Now, in the scriptures, when we see a repetition about something, it is emphasizing something important. And in these two verses, there is a phrase that is being repeated, and that is, into heaven. Look at verse 10. It says, why they were gazing into where? Heaven. And then go to verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. In the same way, he will come back from where he went to into heaven. There's an emphasis here. Into heaven. These two verses emphasizing something important. What are they communicating? You see, the disciples were taken back by what was taking place. And there were, these two men were telling them, what are you still doing here? Why are you still standing here? Jesus was taken up in a cloud. That word there, in a cloud, it is drawing a picture for us. Remember the same cloud that covered Jesus in, in the Mount of Transfiguration. It is the same cloud that, that had came upon Jesus and the other two men that he was with. But not only that, Jesus also said about himself that you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Something about this cloud. I'm going to read to you out of Psalm 24 real quick. And so I, I want to draw a picture for us in what's taking place. Because as the disciples are standing there, Jesus is being ushered into heaven in his glory. Now, Psalm 24 captures something beautiful to us. And, and I'll read to you what it says. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Verse 3, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully? He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face 
of the God of Jacob. And listen to these words, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. This is the picture that is being captured here. That as the disciples are in astonishment and Jesus is being taken up in this cloud, he's entering the very glory there of heaven. He's entering the very gates of heaven. And the psalmist is saying that the ancient doors... Be open ancient doors because the king of glory is coming in. And this is the beautiful picture that is being drawn for us here, family. That Jesus, the king of glory, is going into heaven. What a beautiful sight. But we are told that the same beautiful sight that the disciples are beholding, it was a private view That in Jesus' second coming, that every knee will bow. Everyone is going to see the king of glory coming back. It is no longer a private viewing, but a public viewing. Everyone will behold the king of glory. And the angels here that are with the disciples are telling them, Hey, look, the same Jesus that you're seeing being ushered up into heaven will come back we'll come back what a beautiful promise to them Jesus is going to come back his second coming so we are living between these two important points where Jesus came he lived the life that we couldn't live He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He rose again in victory and he ascended into heaven. But then we are also living between the time, that moment and the time where he will come back. So let us not be asleep, church, because Jesus will come back in his glory. And so what we're looking at here is that the disciples were in astonishment. And the two men that stood by there, he's, they're telling them, look, don't just stand there. Don't be inactive. Be about the Father's business. You see, they were looking into heaven like, what is going to happen? But today we can be so caught up because remember, they were telling Jesus, hey, when is all this going to happen? When is God going to come back and restore everything? They were worried about what's going to happen later. But even today, we can get so caught up with the end of times. We can get so caught up, and it derails us from the God-given mission that we have of making disciples. See, God is sovereign. He has everything under his control. And when it is time for him to come back, he will come back for his church. But in the meantime, let us be about the Father's business. Let us continue to do the Lord's will. 
Jesus was received into heaven, but now they were to go out into the lost and broken world and be witnesses of Jesus Christ, bringing hope to the hopeless and living water to thirsty souls. But of course, it's important to be aware of the times that we live in, but let it not hijack God's mission that he's given to the church to go and make disciples. We must continue to bear witness of our risen Savior who will come back one day. So as we live between these two realities, why is it so important then? This ascension of Jesus Christ, why is it so important for us today? You see, Jesus gave a command to the disciples to go and make disciples and that he will be with them to the end of the days. But what is the benefit for us today? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 16. So Jesus now ascended to the right hand of the Father. What does that mean for us today? I mean, you know, we, we read this in the text, but what does it mean for us today? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. When you're there, you can say amen, amen. Man, not everyone is there. Come on, guys. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the what? Through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Hallelujah. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you see what Jesus has established for us? First of all, we serve a God who knows what we go through. We serve a God who is not distant from us. We serve a God who has been tempted like you and not, yet he has not sinned. But I don't know if God knows what I'm going through. No, he knows what you're going through. But it's because I was betrayed, Jesus was betrayed. And they slandered my name, they, they slandered Jesus' name. But it was difficult for me. Jesus stood in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, Father, if you can take this cup from me, but yet not my will, but your will be done. If anyone knows what we're going through, it is Jesus. Let us not think so highly of ourselves that we can say that God cannot relate to us. God can relate to every single one of us, no matter where we at in life. The enemy will try to lie to you and say that, no, 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 no. Your problems are too big for God. Or your problem is too small for God. He's not going to pay attention. 
Oh, you blew it again for the 10,000th time. Praise be to God for his unconditional love and the power of the cross. It is a reminder to us. And that's why he says that Jesus is able to sympathize with us. Sympathize with us. And because of that, we are able to approach the throne of grace. When we speak about this throne, think about in the old times where if you were summoned by the king, you would approach the throne with reverence. But if the king did not summon you, you wouldn't even come because they would kill you. But here with Jesus is saying, with confidence come before the throne of grace. You will not be casted out because Jesus already paid it for you. Come to him before his throne, before his presence, before royalty. Think about that for a moment. Let us not belittle what God has provided for us. That we're able to come before the throne of grace and find mercy and find grace for our time of need. We are needy people. And we do desperately need our God. Not every once in a while, every single day. There is an inexhaustible, inexhaustible, never-ending overflow of grace for you and I. Because we serve an infinite God. With you and I, our grace, forget about it, right? We cut it off quick. Like, no, what would you say about me? We cut it off quick, right? But I praise God that he is not like us. He is not like us. And I praise the Lord for that. Therefore, we're able to approach the throne in prayer. Now, look at chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 of Hebrews. Verse 19 and 20. We have this as, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Follow, look, look at the imagery. A sure and steadfast anchor. And how many of you know what an anchor is? You raise your hands. An anchor. So what is the anchor supposed to do for the boat? Like It holds it in place, right? So when the storms come, it's holding it in place. And what is the description about Jesus? Who is holding us in place? Jesus, the anchor of our soul. He is holding us in place. And this is what the scriptures are saying. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This imagery behind the holy of holies into the presence of God. I don't have to say 10 different kind of prayers before I step into the presence of God. Man, I fall on my knees and the presence of God is there. I don't have to wait to come to this building. 
I don't have to call my friend to see if he's going to hear me. I fall down on my knees. The presence of God is there. You and I are the people of God filled with the presence of God because of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us. You have power in yourselves, family. You have power to overcome sin, power to live lives of of victory. It is not dependent upon you. That is why it is by faith that we turn to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. He is the forerunner that has gone before us, and he has prepared the way. There's nothing that you and I have to do besides just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is easier said than done, huh? Man, let's keep it 100, right? And we could talk about believing in Jesus all we want, but it's like hanging a picture of Jesus on the wall. We could hang that picture there, but if there's no relationship, what are we going to say? It's very important. By faith, this relationship is, is being rekindled. There's a fire of passion. Lord, look at the stuff that is going on, but God, I'm still looking to you. I know that my problems are, are, are caving me down, but I'm still looking to you. I know that people are rising up against me, but I am still gazing my eyes upon you. Faith, oh, faith is looking through those thick clouds and staring into heaven because you know where your help comes from. My help comes from above, from the maker of heaven and earth. That is where our help comes from, family. Don't rely on me. And don't rely on the person next to you. Rely on Jesus who liberates the oppressed. On Jesus who resurrects the dead. On Jesus who brings life. Not on me. Not on this place. On Jesus. So now, the ascension. The ascension of Jesus It's so very critical to us because we're reminded that he is daily making intercession for the saints. I mean, if anyone you want praying for you is Jesus, because we could call one another and say, well, I'm going to pray for you, bro. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you. And all of a sudden you forget, you go do something else. Right? But but Jesus is not going to fall asleep on you. Jesus is not going to say your luggage is too much for me. Jesus is not going to say your sin is too great for me. Jesus is going to say, look at the cross of what I did for you, my son. Look at what I did for you at Calvary's cross for you. That's what he'll remind us of. He says, Lord, Lord, my, my, my sin, my struggles. He says, it's been paid for. But the people over there, they did it to me. But this is over here what I'm confronted. I confronted death and overcame it for you. What can we bring to the table? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Oh, with the sweet reminder of prayer. It is with the same breath of prayer 
the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father, oh, we benefit from it today. He is praying and interceding for each one of us. No matter where we've been at or how far we believe we've gone, God will continue to pursue us with a relentless love and draw us back to himself. He is faithful even when we are not. Why, why, why would Paul write that in the scriptures? That he is faithful even when we're not because he knows our character and he knows the character of God. A reminder to us. And so we draw this time with this breath of, of prayer, the importance that Jesus is interceding for us, and we get to our next point in verse 12. He says, and they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. And look at how Luke, he, he labels all the disciples, Peter and John and James and Andrew. Notice the, the order in which he wrote them down, right? And then he gets to he says, verse 14, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. So he, he also says that the women were there praying with the disciples. Then he goes on to say that the mama of Jesus was there and Jesus' brothers were there. Whose brothers? Yeah, Jesus had other brothers. And they were all there praying. They were praying together. Then you go on to see what in verse 15, and it says, and in those days, in those days when they were praying together, it wasn't just one day they prayed together. In those days that they were persevering in prayer, it says that, G that Peter stood up and among the brothers, and, and, and there was 120 of them. Imagine, a packed house. This must have been a pretty big room, right? <laughs> so a bunch of them in there, and they're praying. They're praying. This is, you know, we, we can easily skip through, through this uh, part of, of Acts and dive right into chapter 2 where it talks about how the Holy Spirit comes and, and power comes from on high. But if we skip this part, we see the essential part of missions, which is prayer. 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 They were devoting themselves to prayer. Prayer is the vehicle that is being used. Prayer is the tool that is preparing them for power. Prayer is the means of communication between the saints and our God. Prayer in community was bringing a deeper unity. There is an old a preacher who passed away uh, by the name of Ravenhill. He says, no man is greater than his prayer life. The people who are not praying are straying. Failing here, we fail everywhere. A man may study because his brain is hungry for knowledge, even Bible knowledge. But, if, but he prays because his soul is hungry for God. Prayer 
is an acknowledgement of our weakness and an acknowledgement of the greatness of God. Prayer is worth fueling our spiritual vitality, family. Prayer. So the disciples, they were devoting themselves to prayer, a togetherness, a rich, deep unity that can only be forged together by the Holy Spirit. We talk about unity. Let's talk about prayer. We talk about all kind of craziness. Let's talk about prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. We must be people of prayer. We must be intentional about praying. Personal prayer and prayer in community. As a family of disciples on our knees seeking the sovereign Lord, prayer will fuel our mission. It molds, it shapes us, it unifies the body. The Holy Spirit convicts, encourages, stirs our hearts for more of Jesus and less of us. We want more of him, more of him, and more of him, but we spend little time pursuing him. How can we say we want more of God, but we spend more time in other things? Family, I encourage you, just start with a little. Start with a little. Morning, I'm not saying you got to spend an hour in, in your prayer closet, man. Spend one minute praising Jesus. And you see how that one minute is going to catch fire. It goes to two minutes. All of a sudden, two minutes goes to five minutes. All of a sudden, where did all the time go? I was up on my knees in prayer and a whole hour passed by. I was in no rush. No one hurrying me. The clock wasn't reminding me. My email notifications were sounding. Everything was in silence because I'm pursuing God. Perseverance in prayer. Scripture says that they were devoting themselves, devoting themselves, heart-filled, grace-fueled desire for prayer. No one had to ask them to pray. It was a genuine desire Holy Spirit moving in their lives, desire to pray. A devotion in prayer, consistently praying together. Imagine, family, imagine as the church, Geruso Grace, that we can be known as a house of prayer. And they, they, they want to come to us because they somehow feel that we have this connection with God. But we say, you have the same opportunity. There's nothing special about me. There's only, what's special is the God that we serve. So why don't we together seek the Lord? Why don't we together get on our knees and seek the Lord? You're going through these struggles. Why don't, you know what? Let's stop right now. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. I, I want you to notice, though. When a situation arises, we normally go and try to do what? Figure it out on our own, right? We know, man, I'm telling you, that's our natural instinct. Okay, let me try to do this. Oh, you got a problem here? Let me try to figure it out. Man, but imagine we said, you know what? Let's ask God. Let's seek the Lord in this. Man, I'm telling you. When we study scriptures, it can, it can easily puff up our pride. 
But to get on our knees before God, it is killing the flesh. Who wants to slow down and get on their knees to pray? Or not even get on their knees, just slow down and pray. Like, I got too much things to do, right? We got so many things on the list. I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do that. There was an old German monk that said that he would spend two hours of his morning in prayer before he would go out to do the ministry. So he would wake up like three, four in the morning probably before he would go out there to do ministry. Because he knew he needed to spend time with the Father. So did Jesus. Jesus spent much quality time with the Father. So prayer is an essential for us, family. In home groups, we have that time where we come together in prayer. Sunday mornings when we open up the front so we could come together in prayer. Sunday, Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock when we get together for prayer. But it doesn't stop there. I would encourage you, meet with other brothers and sisters. Call them over the phone and say, bro, let's pray for the situation because I'm going through that. You don't have to somehow be at the same place because God is everywhere. All right? So, you know, now if y'all want to meet together and, you know, and pray like that, that's awesome. But if you just want to call them, say, you know what, let's, let, let's get into a time of prayer. You could do that as well. Let us not allow the world to, to shape the way we're going to relate to God. Let the scriptures shape the way we relate to God. And you will see how when you begin to devote yourself to prayer, the shackles will begin to be broken. Grace will begin to reach the deep parts of our hearts. God-glorifying desires will grow and earthly desires will fade away. But if we spend little time with God, how do we expect to have victory? Prayer will fuel our mission. It develops persistence, perseverance, being filled with the Spirit of God. But not only that, look at the next thing that we see. So as we see in verse 15, Peter stood up among the 120 that were there. And look at what he says in verse 16, the very first word. What does he say? Brothers. Like we would say it out in the street, carnales. We're here. We're here together. It says brothers. That, that word there carries this, this truth that you and I are family. Look at what's happening here because what we're seeing here that Peter is calling everyone their brothers. Not just the disciples. Everyone there is being called brothers. You see, their identity is family. Church is not like family. Church is family. We must allow our identity as family to drive our actions. So what does that mean for us? God treasures us because we are united not only to Jesus' death, but also to his life. And everything good associated with Christ becomes part of our identity. God calls us children, granting Jesus' family status on us. On us. Imagine, imagine with me that God isn't waiting for us 
to measure up to a standard of perfection before he calls us family. Imagine if he did. None of us would be able to be here. None of us. Because of Jesus' perfect life, it is his status that is given to us by faith. Nothing in us will hinder the Father's love for us. Let me get everyone's attention here because listen. Nothing in you is going to hinder the Father's love for you. Nothing in you. Think about what's in us today. What kind of hateful thoughts we might have had. What kind of lustful thoughts we might have had. What kind of frustration we might have allowed into our hearts. What kind of things that we might have said to one another. Nothing in you will hinder the love of the Father. Do you see what I'm saying that the scriptures teach to us? Nothing in us. Praise be to God that nothing in us will hinder the love of the Father for us. For the Holy Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts every single day. It is grace and all of grace, family. Therefore, prayer is fueling our mission. As God's family coming together and we're interceding for one another, a family of disciples Praying together. Now look at what it says in verse 16. Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of who? Of David. And this is not a homing David that might be chilling with them. This is King David in the Old Testament. And who spoke through King David? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Oh, hallelujah. You see the presence of the triune God within the first chapter of Acts. It's a reminder. It is the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working together. And redeeming the people of God and empowering the people of God and raising the people of God. It is all of God from the Old Testament. And we see this in here. Peter is reminding them it is in the scriptures. It had to be fulfilled. It was spoken by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So what we see here then, family, that, hey, the situation with Judas, it didn't fumble the plan of God. God was fully aware, sovereignly working through all of that. In the Old Testament, thousands of years before Jesus came here on earth to be born of a virgin, to live the life that we could have lived thousands of years before that. it, It was already written about him. It was already written that Judas was going to betray Jesus. And so when we think that God, when we say God is sovereign, man, man, I'm talking about look at the details of how sovereign our God is. So can we rest upon him then? Can't we, you and I, rest in upon God? 
If he knows everything from beginning to end, imagine that. You and I then can trust in the Lord. But now look at what it says in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Again, Old Testament. It is written in the book of Psalms, Peter quoting the Bible. It is written in the book of Psalms. They're praying together and they're talking about scriptures and community. It is written in the book of Psalms. What are they going to for guidance? They're going to the scriptures. They're not going to someone else. They're going to the scriptures together. It is written in the book of Psalms as they've been praying together for days. And they're going back to the word of God. And they say, may his camp be desolate and there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. He's saying here, look, we're going to have to choose somebody from among us to become also an apostle with us. Now, this lets me know something, because they they had two men in mind. They had two men to choose out of. There had to be a culture of disciple makers in there already. There had to be a culture of leaders whom to choose from. Because they weren't just going to pick anybody. They weren't just going to say, well, we need somebody to fill this role, so let's just pick anybody. They were choosing qualified leaders to take on this position. But they weren't choosing by themselves. They were seeking the very wisdom of God. They were seeking counsel from God, and therefore they came to the Lord in prayer. And this is what they say in verse 23. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Verse 24, and they did what? They prayed. They didn't just grab anybody and say, hey, you know what, you, you like that guy? And, you know, I, I think he could, he's kind of catchy. Look at his wavy hair. Maybe he'll do good. Hey, look at that guy over there, the way he's dressed. I think he's going to relate to the people. Man, oh man, I'm talking about we are so shaped by the world. Look at what they did. They prayed to God. They said, Lord, they prayed and they said, you, Lord, who knows the hearts of all. That reminds me of Samuel. When they had to pick the king. And they were going to pick the next king after Saul. And he's going and, and he's looking everywhere. And, and, and they go to the dad and the brothers. And they're thinking maybe they're going to pick one of the other ones. And they're like, well, God's not picking one of them. Where, where's, where's the other? Who's the one that's going to be king? <laughs> oh, little shepherd boy coming along, running along. See, God does not look at the outward appearance, praise be to God. But he looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. So leadership qualities is not on the exterior. It's not because you dress look good or maybe because you wear a suit and tie or because you do all of the. No, God is looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart. 
And what he, he says there, you, you know the heart of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place. So they cast lots. Oh, man. So they grab some paradise, right, and then cast lots? Say, what? That's how they're choosing? Who's going to be? Why don't we start doing that choosing? Well, let, let's slow down for a moment. Remember we talked about last week? It's a historical book talking to us about what's taking place behind the curtains, you know, through the early church. Be reminded that at the time, they still didn't have the New Testament. Be reminded that the Holy Spirit had not came upon everyone started moving. So they didn't have that kind of guide, but they were coming to Jesus. They were crying out to Jesus for discernment and direction. So at this particular time is how they were seeking from Jesus, which one they would choose. And so at this moment, what we see then, that through prayer, you seek wisdom from God. Because Jesus is the builder of the church and not us. We can come with all kind of new strategies, all kind of new developments, man, all kind of new stuff. But if Jesus is not in it, we build in vain. And what we see here is that the disciples, they could have relied on anyone else, but they said, no, we're going to come to Jesus. Because Jesus is going to build his church. And you and I is very essential that we come to Jesus, not only to build the church, but to build our home. Because I'm telling you, when we rely on our own wisdom and strength to build our home, it falls apart, right? Jesus said, the wise man built his house on the rock, not on the sand. There's a picture being drawn there for us. Because this man listened to Jesus and obeyed the words. And so what we see here that they, the disciples are modeling something for us today. That as we seek to move forward in the mission of God, we must pursue God in prayer as a church body. Praying together that God will give us wisdom and God will put people in place. Because we must be praying like we need all kind of different help. We need help in the children's. We need help with worship. We need, like, help in other areas, like helping the coffee in the back. We're just talking about that. The pan dulce, all kind of different stuff. But we must be praying God bring the right people to put where you want them to be at. Because we can put people anywhere we want, and at the end of the day, it's going to fall apart. So what we see here is that Jesus is the builder of his church, and we must come to him for guidance, not only in building the church, but in building our home. So today, as a reminder to us, we have one that's interceding for you and I. That is Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father. No matter what we've gone through in life or where we're at today, he will not cast us away. The enemy will try to lie to us and say he's not going to allow you into his presence. He's not going to allow you to come to his throne. Look at how many times you've already ruined it. Look how many people you've already let down. 
Look how many times you promised God you were going to serve him and you didn't. Oh, if my relationship with God was was based on my moral record, I would have lost it a long time ago. But praise be to God that is not dependent upon that. It is what Jesus has done that is sufficient for us. Therefore, run. Run to the throne of grace today in prayer. So as we approach this time, we will be ending this time But I want to give you this opportunity. Pray. Pray where you're at. Whatever situation you're going through, pray. You might want to group up with somebody and just pray. You might share something that's going on in your life right now with somebody else, but pray. At this time, family, I want to invite you to pray. As we finish this time of worship, I want us to pray as we move forward whatever you're going through God is not surprised by it he knows us that we are made from the dust we're going to struggle we're going to we're going to feel God but family triumphs over failure we are children of the most high God therefore let us come to him this morning let us bow our heads in prayer God we we thank you because you have chosen to set your affections upon us you've given us this precious opportunity to pray and therefore we ask give us the strength the conviction the capacity to pursue this time of prayer But let it not not just be today. Let it be every day. Let it not just be in the bad times that we pray, but also in the good times that we pray. Let it not just be, Father God, in the times when we're needing something from you, but every day. Let us be people of prayer. Let us be known as a house of prayer. For we will be awaiting the move of your spirit upon us, God. Let there be revival in our hearts, oh God, before we see it in our city. Let there be revival in our hearts, oh God. But let us come to you first in prayer.